the gospel. So there's this minister, a priest, and a guru uh, discussing the best positions for prayer while a nearby telephone repairman was working. Kneeling is definitely the best way to pray, the, pe- the priest said. No, said the minister, I get the best results standing with my hands outstretched to heaven. The guru said, well, no, you're both wrong. The most effective prayer position is lying down on the floor. The repairman could no longer contain himself. He fell as he, hey, fellas, he interrupted. Best praying I ever did was hanging upside down on the telephone pole. This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on prayer. We're going to continue talking about prayer. Uh, some folks think that the most important part of prayer is the position that we are in when we're praying. I believe that the most important part of prayer, the most important thing when it comes to prayer is the attitude of our hearts. Uh, it's not the position of our posture, but the condition of our hearts. This morning we're going to talk about praying with the right attitude. We're going to look at a parable Jesus told in uh, Luke 18. Uh, so if you will grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 18, um, we're going to read verses um, 9 uh, through 14. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 is where we are today. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the chance to get together today and to worship you and to praise you. We thank you for this time now where we can dig deep into your word and learn about the importance of the attitude of our hearts, the condition of our hearts as we come to you in prayer. Thank you for giving us the gift of prayer that we can come to you and, and we can tell you the, the concerns and the worries that we have. The, the, we can express our praise to you, our thanksgiving to you for all you've done and that we can, uh, we can just pour out our hearts to you in prayer. Thank you for this wonderful gift. Be with us now in this time. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first part of Luke 18, Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer. In verses 1 through 8, he talked to them about being persistent in prayer. We talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, We talked about being persistent in prayer, not giving up. Even when things don't go the way they think that we think that they should, uh, even when it seems like God isn't answering our prayers the way that we want him to, uh, we still have to keep on praying and, and, and never give up. Uh, in the parable that Jesus was telling in Luke 18, 9 through 14, this morning's passage, we see that it was addressed to those who looked down on everybody else because of the, the my mouth is not working today, because they were confident of their own righteousness. The parable on prayer in Luke 18, 1 through 8 was probably directed towards his disciples. This parable was probably directed towards the Pharisees. Uh, especially because Jesus mentions a Pharisee in the parable. They were known for being quite confident in their own righteousness and in their following of the law of Moses. So two guys go up to the temple to pray. you got two guys going up there. The uh, People could pray at the time uh, of the morning or evening sacrifices or any time during the day for private prayer. 
One is probably a respected religious leader, and the other is a dirty, rotten scoundrel of a tax collector. So you have this guy that everyone looks up to as being this religious leader, and uh, he is just the epitome of, of religious uh, confidence, uh, of religious practice. Uh, he, everybody knows him. Everybody knows what he does. Uh, they think the world of him. Then you got this other guy, this tax collector, and, uh, you know, with property taxes the way they are here in northwest Indiana, we get a better idea of, the, uh, of what a tax collector, how they were viewed. Um, Pharisees were well known for their religious activities. Uh, the tax collectors, though, not so much. They, they were viewed as traitors, They're traitors uh, against the Jewish people uh, because they were hired by the Romans to collect taxes from their, from their, uh, um, uh, from their brothers and sisters. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, so you got the Pharisee over here, and uh, he's doing his thing. Uh, Jesus said that uh, the righteousness of his followers had to surpass that of the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were always out in public doing their acts of righteousness, and Jesus said, no, uh, righteousness has to surpass that of the skin-deep Pharisees. The righteousness of the Pharisees flowed from a desire for public adulation and pats on the back. See, they wanted people to see what they were doing. They wanted people to know what they were doing. They wanted people to respect them and to look up to them. Because of their religious acts. They wanted people to see them doing religious acts of righteousness. And that's why they did them. To, to be seen like people by people. Kind of like this cartoon that uh, I got up here. Um, can you see that alright? Got the minister in his study. That's me. I got my little cardboard cutout right there by the window. So you can. Is this thing on? Good morning. So the Pharisee gets up and he starts talking about himself to God. He even dares to compare himself to the fellow who was praying next to him. I am not like other men, not even like this tax collector. He brags and he boasts to God about who he thinks he is. Well, then it's the tax collector's turn. And like I said, you know, they were viewed as traitors. They were not very well liked. They were viewed as traitors because they collected taxes for the Romans. They were dishonest. They often cheated people for their own gain. Uh, as Jesus is telling the story, I, I'm, I kind of imagine people are sitting around listening to Jesus tell the story, and they're thinking, oh, the Pharisee, I've seen those guys before, yay, Pharisees, and then he says, you know, then there's this tax collector, and the people are like, boo, tax collectors, boo, anyway, the <clears throat> tough morning, tough crowd, the Pharisees were seen as devout and righteous, the tax collectors were treasonous sinners. The tax collector in Jesus' story even admits such. He even admits that he's a sinner. Uh, he does not present his good qualities to God for evaluation like the, ta the Pharisee does. The Pharisee says, look at me, God, aren't I great? tax collector doesn't do anything like that. He does not even compare himself with anyone else in the room. He simply cries out to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says that the tax collector was justified before God and not the Pharisee. Now, this would have thrown people for a loop. How is that even possible? How is that possible? How could a tax collector be forgiven by God? How could a Pharisee not be forgiven and justified? Could you imagine uh, some super-duper awesome religious guy? You know, Jesus is telling this story about this super-duper awesome religious guy. You know, we'll call him Sean. Okay, and so you've got Sean uh, doing his thing and, and praying and everything like that. And, and then you've got, you know, some horrible sinner, terrible axe murderer guy over here just crying out for forgiveness. And then Jesus says, the super religious duper guy who gets up there and preaches every week and, and tells people how awesome he is and everything like that, he's not forgiven by God. 
He's received his reward by having everybody look at him. Okay, he is not justified before God. But this, this axe murderer over here who, uh, who um, you know, it confesses his sin and, and cries out to God for mercy, he is the one who's forgiven. You think, what, what kind of world are we living in? This super-duper awesome religious guy named Sean isn't justified before God, but the axe murderer is? It's the condition of the heart, my friends. It's the condition of the heart. Jesus answers that question with, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The great actor Gregory Peck was once standing in line with a friend waiting for a table in a crowded Los Angeles restaurant. They had been waiting for some time. The diners seemed to be taking their time eating and new tables weren't opening up very fast. They weren't even that close to the front of the line. Peck's friend became impatient. He said to Gregory Peck, why don't you tell the maitre d' who you are? Why don't you tell the maitre d' who you are? Gregory Peck responded with great wisdom. If you have to tell them who you are, then you aren't. Hmm. See, that's what the Pharisee failed to understand about God. If you have to tell God who you are, then you aren't. There are two realizations that we must come to before we can pray with the right attitude. First, we must realize who God is. We have to realize who God is. God is not a fool. God is not able to be fooled. God is not ignorant. God knows who we really are. He knows who we are when no one else may know who we are. He knows our motivations. He knows our hearts. We talked this morning in, this, in the summer uh, small group beach party. Um, again, 9.30 Sunday mornings. Uh, we talked at the beach party about God's omniscience, how God knows everything, and how scary that is. Because God knows everything about us. You know, we like to think, wow, God is all-knowing. He knows how many hairs are on my head or how many hairs used to be on my head. But no, see, God knows more than that. God knows our hearts. He knows what's going on in here. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're feeling. He knows... Uh, why we do what we do. See, God knows everything. He knows it all. He knows, First uh, John 3.20 says that very thing, that God knows everything. Romans 8.27 says that he searches our hearts. Um, God knows what we do, and he knows why we do it. He knows why we come to church. He knows why you're sitting there right now. He knows what you're thinking as you're sitting there right now. He knows why we pray or why we don't pray. He knows what we're thinking. Man, I hope Sean doesn't preach too long i got to get home and get a roast out of the oven. I hope Sean doesn't preach too long. i got to get home and clean out my garage. I hope Sean preaches nice and long this morning. I could use a good nap. As the Pharisee prayed, as the Pharisee prayed, he forgot who God was. God knew what the Pharisee was doing. He knew that he was praying in such a way so that he would be admired by the people around him. When we go before God in prayer, we have to realize who He is. He is all-knowing. He knows everything about us. Like I said, He even knows the number of hairs that are on our head or that used to be on our head. One thing that I love about God is that He knows everything about me, and He loves me anyway. See, God knows everything about Sean. And when I was, uh, when you all voted me in to be your uh, minister a little over a year ago, uh, it was a 100% vote. Yeah, everybody said, yeah, we want Sean to come be our minister. And, and I told the elders, it just means that I got 100% of the pe- people fooled. Um, see, I, I, God knows everything about me. Y'all don't know me at all. And God knows what's in here, that which people can't see. He knows what's in here, what people can't see. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm, you know, this terrible, horrible, awful person. But I'm a terrible, horrible, awful person. <laughs> I don't have to try and hide anything from God. 
I don't have to try and hide my sin from him because you know what? He saw me do what I did. He will not be surprised when I confess my sins to him. When I go before God and said, Lord, I'm a sinner, he doesn't go, what? You? Sean, a sinner? I'm so surprised. I'm astonished. No, God knows everything about me. He knows that I'm a sinner. He knows the sins that I commit. When I confess them to him, he's not surprised. He already knows about them. And he's willing to forgive me when I come to him humbly and ask for forgiveness. I have to be fully aware of who God is when I come to him in prayer. That way I will not take him for granted. And I will not give him less than the praise and the worship that he deserves. Second realization we must come to is who we are. Sean, Sean Brown of Newport News, Virginia says, I have a small collection of baseball cards. The card that is worth the most is called Future Stars, and it is valued at $100. There are three players on this card. The first is Jeff Schneider. Schneider played one year of professional baseball. <clears throat> he pitched in 11 games and gave up 13 earned runs in those 11 games. The second player is Bobby Bonner, who played four years of baseball but only appeared in 61 games with eight runs batted in and zero home runs. The third future star played 21 years for the Baltimore Orioles and appeared in 3,001 games. He came to bat 11,551 times, collected 3,184 hits, 430 home, 431 home runs, and batted in 1,695 runs. His name is Cal Ripken Jr. Now imagine if you met Bobby Bonner, okay, the guy there on the uh, left. There's Bob Bonner, right? Imagine you met Bobby Bonner and he shook your hand and boasted, did you know that my baseball card is worth over $100? You would laugh because you know the worth of the card has nothing to do with him. The value of that card is based on someone else's accomplishments, namely the dude in the middle. Our value as Christians is not based on our accomplishments either. We might think that we're pretty good. We might think that we have done some pretty good things in our lives. But the truth is, we're honestly pretty rotten. We're sinners. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we lust, we swear, we treat our bodies poorly by drinking, overeating, or smoking. We're self-centered, we're, self, uh, we're selfish, we're greedy, we're idolatrous, we're lazy in our professional, personal, and spiritual lives. We do not put God first. We do not love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We do not love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We can't stand our enemies, let alone love them as Jesus told us to do or pray for them. Need I go on? Anyone here still feel like a pretty good person? No, I don't. Too often we want to think of ourselves like the Pharisee thought of himself. He looked around and he saw the sinner and said, God, I'm better than that, dude. We move around in our daily lives and we look at those around us and we say, hmm, I'm better than they are. I'm better than my neighbor. I'm better than the guy across the street. <laughs> He's the one, he goes golfing every Sunday morning. Me, I go to church. I go to church every Sunday morning. I'm better than him. You know, we might look at the news. We might look at a murderer on the news. It might be another crooked politician. I'm better than that guy. It might be another celebrity hooked on drugs. We think, I'm better than they are. What we should do is say, Lord, thank you for the love and the grace that you have shown me and for sending your, cross, sending your son to die on the cross for me. Rather than comparing ourselves to everyone else, you may be sitting there right this morning looking across the room going, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than she is. I got it more together than they do. I, I pray. I pray every day. 
And not just before meals. I saw them at a restaurant last week. They didn't even pray before their meal. What kind of a Christian do they think they are? I'm better than that person. I go to Bible study. They don't even go to Bible study. I'm better than that person. I volunteer. I do stuff around the church. My name is on the VBS list. By the way, we need people on the VBS list. <laughs> Can you help sign up for VBS today? We need, uh, we need a bunch more people to sign up. Not a bunch more, but we need more people to sign up for VBS. And we encourage you. You know, you may be brand new around here. Uh, all we ask uh, is that uh, you uh, give us your name, social security number, fingerprints, and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll clear you and everything. You can sign up for VBS. No, we want you to sign up for VBS and help out with that. Back to what we should pray. Um, all of our prayers should end with the same phrase. All of our prayers should end with the same phrase. Rather than saying, God, look at me. I, I'm, I'm so much better than so-and-so. God, look at me. I'm, I'm doing pretty good today. God, look at me. I've got it all together. We should say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because that is what we are. We are sinners. God does not compare us with other sinners. When we stand before the judgment seat, all right, he's not going to sit there and say, Sean, come forward. Sean comes up. Okay, Brandon, come forward. Let's compare Sean to Brandon. One of you is it, it kind of like, you know, kind of like American Idol. <laughs> One of you is going home. <laughs> Only you're not going home. But see, God does not compare us with other sinners. He compares us with himself. His standard for his creation is righteousness, sinless perfection. We were created in his image, and he expects sinless perfection from us. And we don't measure up. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to be the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus took our sins upon himself. When we put our faith in Christ and we accept him as our Savior by repenting from sin, confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord, and obeying him in baptism, our sins are forgiven and we are declared righteous. But we must realize fully who we are. And we must fully understand that we are bad and it is God who makes us good. Once we realize who God is and who we are, then we can pray accordingly. The attitude with which we are to pray is humility. When we realize how good God is and we realize how bad we are, we will pray with humility before him. The Pharisee was filled with self-righteousness and pride. Look at me! I am so great. The Pharisee didn't understand. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The tax collector got it right. He realized who God was and, he, and who he was and he prayed accordingly. He came before God in humility, confessed that he was a sinner and he begged God for mercy. The Pharisee had a couple of misconceptions about who God was who he was, and how he should approach God. There was a pastor named Michael who was still in seminary, and he took a course in clinical pastoral education. Each seminarian was assigned to be a chaplain in a hospital or another institution, and one night each week was on call for emergencies. Late one night, the phone rang, and Michael was called to Alexian Brothers Medical Center in the Chicago suburbs. A 16-year-old girl had been driving at night with friends, and she had backed into a light pole. The pole had broken off and then fallen forward, crashing down onto the car. A 12-year-old friend in the car had been severely injured. In fact, she was brain dead when she arrived at the hospital. Michael walked with the 12-year-old's family as they went through the wrenching process of realizing the truth and allowing the life support to be removed. 
The following morning, Michael visited the hospital room of the 16-year-old driver. Physically, she was recovering well, but emotionally, she was distraught, knowing that her actions had killed her friend. I'm going to be like a daughter to her parents, she told Michael. I'm going to go over to their house every day and babysit for them. I'll wash dishes for them every night. I'll go over there every week and mow their lawn. Michael gradually helped her realize the truth that no matter what she did, she could never replace their daughter. She could never do enough to make up for her actions. All she could do was ask for forgiveness and hope that the parents would find it in their hearts to forgive her. The parents who lost their little girl amazingly did forgive this girl. She was set free from trying to pay back a debt that she could never repay, no matter what she did. You see, the two characters in Jesus' story prayed two different prayers. One was prayed from the heart of a man who wanted to show God how good he was. One was prayed from the heart of a man who realized just how bad he was. The Pharisee was, a, was righteous in his own eyes. He believed that he had it all together. The tax collector was righteous in God's eyes. The difference? Humility. The Pharisee thought he had it all together. The tax collector knew that he was lost and that there was nothing that he could do about it. Absolutely nothing. So he did the only thing that he could do. He cried out to God for mercy. The tax collector realized that he could never be good enough. He could never do enough good deeds to earn God's favor or forgiveness. The girl in this last story came to this same realization. She could never do enough to make things right. She simply had to humbly ask for forgiveness. We're in the same boat when it comes to God. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot do enough good deeds. We cannot say enough prayers. We cannot memorize enough Bible verses to earn his favor or his forgiveness. It is a gift. My friends, it is a gift that can only come by his grace. And it is a gift that only he can give. And it's a gift that he wants to give to each and every one of us. I, I can't say it enough. I can't stress it enough that we cannot earn the salvation that God has offered us. We can't buy it. You can't put enough in the offering plate. You can try. But you can't. You can try and be good enough for it. You can try and earn it by your good deeds. You can try and say, hey, God, look at me. I'm, I'm doing pretty good now. I'm getting better every day. You can't do enough good deeds for it. The only way to get God's salvation is to accept it through his son, Jesus Christ. I talked a little earlier about how we receive this gift. We receive it by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who can forgive our sins. We believe in Jesus, turn from sin, and turn to God in repentance. We confess our faith in Christ, and we obey him in baptism. If we will humbly accept God's offer of salvation through Jesus, we will be saved. When it comes to our prayer lives, we must have the right attitude as well. That same attitude, humility. We must realize who God is. We must realize who we are. And then we pray accordingly. And God, who opposes the proud, will give grace to the humble. Heavenly Father, help us to be humble in our prayers. Help us to be humble before you in everything. For you are great, and you are awesome, and you are mighty, and you are holy, and you are perfect, and you are just. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are everywhere all the time. And you are good all the time. Father, help us to be humble before you. Help us to realize who we are, that we are sinful people. We are people of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your forgiveness. We thank you for offering it to us. I pray for those today who've never accepted your offer of salvation. 
They may believe that Jesus, who Jesus is, but they've never repented. They've never confessed. They've never been baptized. I pray that, God, today you would convict them of, through your Holy Spirit of what they need to do. I pray for those who have accepted Jesus as Savior, but may be struggling with pride. Help us all to be humble before you. For you are God, and we are not. Help us to be humble and give us